0: Will you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This morning we're looking at Psalm 85, if you want to turn there. You can follow along. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Mike, I didn't think I'd see you back there. How's it, how's it going? you will be praying for Mike. Mike, he is um, in the midst of uh, just going through all the things of figuring out exactly how they're going to, to take care of him. And um, anyway... He's got uh, radiation coming up, so you can be praying for him. It's also going to mention you guys, Tom Lincoln, is; uh, they're trying to figure out a treatment plan. Um, they are at MD Anderson, and um, he has uh, lymphoma, but they haven't really, they don't know exactly. They kind of think they know, but all the, the stuff's back. They're not back yet, so they know it's lymphoma. They're just not sure exactly the kind. They think it might be a very rare, rare form. And so uh, hopefully they'll hear something today and there'll be a treatment plan that starts on Monday. So, uh, and then after that, uh, I don't know exactly how all that's going to kind of come together. So we praying for Tom, be are praying um, for Mike, Suzanne's daughter, I just want to mention that for you. Um, she, uh, she had a good report this last week and so uh, that's a good thing. So any kind of moments of that, that's, that's great. So we're going to be praying uh, for them and for all of them as, as you have been and we thank you for doing, doing that. So um, <clears throat> this church is uh, a praying church, and it's a church that loves their, th- each other. We, we love people, and it's uh, demonstrated to me all the time that you guys do. And, uh, you know, that's one of the, um, from an evangelistic standpoint, uh, that that's one of the things that Jesus said to the disciples. <clears throat> they will know um, by your love for one another. I mean, that's that's a, a, a interesting thing. There's a lot of people that would be like... Um, not take that into account, and I think you do take that into account, uh, because God's grace is working in you, and so therefore you love each other, and that's, that's a blessing to be a part of, you know. Um, I don't know, one, t- one of the things, I-, I will mention one other thing about that. That's one of the frightening things to me about someone who doesn't ever really love a local church, is like, um, it's the love of God in your heart. Where is that love, you know? And I-, I do see the love of God in your heart, and I'm thankful for it. So let me pray for us and pray for them. Father, we thank you for those among us who have been a great blessing in our life, Lord, and we know that in this fallen condition that we um, face sickness and disease, and we just pray that you would guide the steps of those who are going through those things now, Lord, and you would guide the hands that are um, helping them. I pray that you would uh, remind them of the greatest hope that we have, which is uh, the forgiveness of sins and a future with you, and we just pray. Praise you for that, and we're thankful for you. In Christ's name, amen. You know, one of the great concerns of our culture um, is, or has been the last few years, that you would hear a lot about is the idea of justice. And so there's really this thing of like, and we've talked about that some, but we, uh, and we understand that and can acknowledge that. It was a great concern among the minor prophets. If you did a study where you said the next you know, year I'm going to study the minor prophets, justice would be at the center of those uh, studies and you would uh, hear it over and over and over again. What we have to do, I think, is, and it's important for us to say, is uh, we would have to define justice but then say, like, what's the foundation of what is right and just and equitable with people? What's the foundation for that? Um, and we would, as Christians would say defining that and setting the foundation is built on the Word of God. We go to the the law of God, for instance, and understand what does it mean to be right and true to others and to treat people with dignity and respect and honor and all of those things. So we understand that, that it's all founded in God. God, in His Word, has told us what is right, what is true, what is good. And um, as image bearers, now here's the deal, we fail to live out that. As image bearers, uh, we should be imaging God. That means that the way in which you speak to others, the activities that you do, the way that you treat other people, you should, we would want to say like our desire is, is that we would image God, that we would demonstrate what God would be like. That's what it means to be an image bearer. You're displaying him in your actions, and your words, and all those things. So we as Christians are people that are saying, like, we want to live rightly, and we want to treat people in a proper way, and we want to give people the dignity and the respect that they uh, deserve because, again, we are uh, image bearers of God, and as we look at God and see His perfect standards, we realize that whether it's in our marriage or across the street with our neighbor or wherever, that we're going to uh, struggle with that. Now, here's the thing, today we're talking about uh, justice and mercy, because the reality is, is we are going to both offend God, but we're also going to offend man, you know, and those are going to be tied together, you know, like the two great commandments tied together. And so when we're going to, when we do that, we have to say like, what would it be for God to be just, and while at the same time, how does he show mercy? And so we're going to deal with that big subject today as you think about it. Um, You know, uh, I read something this week, and a guy was talking about the ancient Greeks did not believe that humans were made in the likeness of God, and they also didn't believe that humans were responsible for their bad deeds. Now, somebody might argue against that and come up with, you know, different arguments for it, but his point was, that's kind of the way in which they would think. They would blame the gods for the things that would happen among men, in a way. You might could say it in that way. Now... Even though you might say, well, but hold on, didn't they show that the humanity like warred with one? Of course they did. And I'll give you this example. Um, At the beginning of the epic Greek poem, The Iliad, this guy named Paris from Troy kidnaps the wife of a man in Greece named Menelaus. Paris induces Menelaus' wife, Helen, to enter into an adulterous relationship with him and takes her back to Troy. She did, and then all of Greece besieges Troy. So it's like, even though you say, well, hold on, that just seems like with humans, but the reality is, is like, like you don't really see Paris and Helen kind of held responsible. The reason given was that a goddess rewarded Paris for the choice that he made. And so it's kind of the gods' fault. But the reality is, it still affected humanity. And so there's still a war. There's like this deal of like, well, ultimate responsibility lies with the gods, but they cannot resca- uh, humans cannot re- escape the responsibility on earth so that there's still war. But the reality is when we're looking at it, we're saying like, no, we are humans made in the image of God. We want to do right. We should do right. We strive towards that, but then we do do wrong, and we are held responsible, culpable for our actions. The things that we do on this earth, we are held responsible for them, both before God and before man. And so in our time where we live, the idea oftentimes is something, again, I'm just going to give you a couple of other thoughts that people have had when they try to think about justice and mercy and things like that um, someone like Freud would say you know what all guilt's false guilt we don't believe that we believe in guilt we believe you're guilty we believe you choose to make uh, bad decisions that you hurt people like and that's wrong and um, the reason somebody like that would think that oh yeah well there's no real true guilt or or all guilt's false guilt, is because they don't have a moral standard of what is right and true and what is right and what is wrong. In this line of thinking, like you should never feel guilty, and he said the only reason that you would need guilt in a society is to maintain life together in order. But in our world, there are a lot of people who would say something like, you know what, you can do whatever you want. As long as it doesn't really hurt anybody else, you can do whatever you want. We don't believe that as Christians. We believe there is a God, there is a standard. We will give an account to our God who has the perfect standard of what is right and true. And so, you know, you'll never meet somebody where they would say like, you know, I don't deserve like punishment. I don't deserve the judgment of God or anything like that. But at the same time in this psalm, we're going to say like there is the judgment of God, but at the same time, he is a merciful God. And so we hold those two things together. Both judgment and mercy. We're not like sweeping things under the rug. We're not saying like it's not our fault. We're saying no, God is just. God has holy standards. He is perfect in every way. He has revealed his plans for us. How we ought to be and live and act. We break that. We deserve his judgment. And then yet at the same time we cry out for his mercy. And so that's kind of what you're seeing today. So we're, we're you're kind of addressing the issue of how could God be just while at the same time maintain mercy in the life of His people? How can He work all of those things out? So um, I hope that will help you as we get started. And then another way just to think about like some, you know, you can take from this psalm and say, you know what, I'll just call this psalm When Righteousness and Peace Meet. Because the psalmist in verse 4 and 7 he wants restoration. He, they, they know what it's like to face the judgment of God. Now they want restoration with God. Now they want to be at peace with God. They want to be reconciled to Him. So I, I think that's important to understand. And we have to understand that, and we want to take that into, you know, to light here when we're thinking about it. And so, they, in a way you could say, they have experienced temporal wrath, and now they want to experience this this mercy as a people, so that God, sometimes he does do that. He does, like, bring judgments in your life, because you need to be woken up, uh, and you need to be turned back, and you need to cry out for him to show mercy, and you need restoration, and so we understand that, and we want to live in light of that. This is one of those things that, like, shapes your worldview. It should help you understand how to view uh, the things that God has taught us. So this is where he starts. He looks back to the past. You know what kind of past he looks back to? Past mercies. He looks back in the past and says, hold on just a second. We've seen you, God, show mercy. We have seen you show mercy. It, you Think about in your own life, you might think, um, if you were trying to write down the, the periods of mercy where you say, like, why, why did God do that for me in that moment? I mean, some of you may be because you, maybe your heart's not filled with gratitude at the moment. You can't see anything that God's done to show you mercy. But if you are a Christian and you've known those things where you've known like offending God and then being reconciled to God, you remember that time. Maybe you remember your salvation. Maybe you remember when you first understood the gospel and the joy that was in your heart. Maybe that's where you have been. But even in those things, you just want to understand when you're looking back, you're looking back to the past and you're recounting what God has done. It's a reminder. It's not that God's forgotten, like I forget. But He's like, He's reminding God of the things that He has done. So He says, Lord, You were favorable to Your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. And so there's an idea here. It It may have the idea of being in captivity when they were uh, in captivity in Egypt, and he's like, you brought us to that land you promised. Remember that mercy, God? It may have been another time in their experience, in Israel's experience. We don't have the details of that, but that God restored them, where after they had kind of faced a, a lot of trials and troubles, and, or when the temple was sacked and the people were drug away, and he's like, remember, God, when you restored us. You remember bringing us back. You've got to go back to the past, so that's what he's doing. Look what verse 2 says. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. This is what he's done in the past. He's forgiven them of their sin that they've committed. You've covered all their sins. He's banking on the God that he has seen in the past being the God that's in the present. Yesterday, today, and forever, our God is the same. And in this way, you see that going on. And I think it is important to recall those things. Like I said, God's forgiveness in your life. In the Old Testament sacrificial system, when they would bring up an animal and lay their hands on that animal, um, they were like pronouncing the guilt, like it was transferring from them to the animal and when it was on the animal and that animal was killed it was like that animal was a representative it died in their place God set up within that system so that you're not saying something like well we're guilty but God is merciful no you're guilty and sin must be punished and he shows mercy through this animal stepping into your place and enduring uh, God's wrath if you will for your sins And so that's the idea in the Old Testament. Guilt was kind of, in a way, even transferred to the temple where it had to be cleansed later of all the guilt and sins of the people. Our guilt, what we would see under the New Testament, under the New Covenant, in a much greater way. What he says in Hebrews is, the blood of those bulls and goats, that didn't deal with our sin really. That covering that happened under under the Old Covenant, that like... It was a temporary thing. It didn't do all that it needed to do. It didn't accomplish like our true redemption. It didn't bring about full forgiveness of sins. All those people were doing those things looking forward to the promise where God would restore people, where He would make them new, where He would really forgive them of their sins. The, the, the people in the Old Testament are saved the, way, the same way the people in the New Testament are. They are. We are looking they were looking forward to God doing this work. We're looking back. Salvation has always been that there would be a substitute and the substitute could not just be an animal. God was not satisfied with that. And so what he says is, look, you remember this? You forgave it? Again, we could say in a temporal way this was the covering, but it was looking forward to the future until Jesus came. Sin is like covered by the blood uh, and the death of another, and Jesus came and died in our place. He pr- was the provision for us, the lamb that was slain for us, so that we could be reconciled to God. James Boyce said, The greatest of all mercies that we can receive from God is forgiveness of sins, and it is from this foundation that all other covenanted mercies flow. Yet how little we value It." it it, if God gives us good health, a happy and supportive family, a good job and praise from our employer or employee and friends, we think we are blessed. If we lack any one of these things, we begin to suppose that God has somehow forgotten about us and does not care. We do not think how blessed we are to have our sins forgiven and to be delivered from the judicial Wrath of God through the atoning death of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of the strongest salvation language in Scripture is present in these verses. He covered their sins, describes atonement. He set aside His wrath, it it describes propitiation. And you see that on display. He is recounting God's salvation. Verse 3, you withdrew all your wrath, you turned from your hot anger. It is in in the the representative uh, being coming and stepping in their place, that he is like able to pour out his wrath on that representative so it's not upon the people. So he looks at those past mercies. We're talking about when righteousness and peace or mercy kind of are present. You look to the past and then to the future. He's saying, God, you've done these things in the past. Like I said, in a temporary way, they had seen that and experienced that. We understand the fullness of that in Christ. But now he's saying, look, in the future, you almost could say in your life there are many, I would almost say like, in I in I, many salvations. There are these things where you could say, and we are kind of restored afresh. There's times where you're in, in sin and you're struggling with that sin and you're praying, oh God, restore to me. Those things, rescue me from my present sin that I've entangled myself in. Lord, you know where we've been. We need you. We need you to restore us. We need you to be made right. And you could be at one level, you could say, I'm eternally saved, but in the present, God show up and rescue me from what I have done here or where I'm at here. And so he says, restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. The idea here is almost like a revival would take place. It's not wrong for you to pray that. Like in your life, God, like bring me back to that place that I need to be, where I desire to be, or when I don't desire it. I need you, even when I'm not desiring the right things, restore me and and draw me back to understand again the the great work that you've done for us. Lord, we we want to be in a good place place we want to be in a right place i was visiting and i think i may have told you this a man just recently who was who was um, believed and was baptized and followed the lord it appeared uh since like a child and then at 70 something he realizes like i didn't know and i didn't understand and so for this guy it was not just a uh, it was something like he was brought to life later. but And that may be the story of some of you. And it might be something we wake up and say, one day you call me and say, man, I think I was genuinely converted. But there may be other times, again, where you're just like, you're, you're in, you've been in this pattern of sin. Maybe you weren't even aware of it. And the Lord wakes you up to that. And you turn back to him. And you're saying, oh, Lord, bring me to a place in, in, in like where I recognize and understand the greatness of your salvation and the work that you have. Enable me today. Save me. It's like we are, we are saved, being saved, and we will be saved. In that moment of like uh, struggle, like enable me. Well, let me walk in your enabling grace. want to be faithful and steadfast, and I want to trust you. So in our present battles with sin, Lord, deliver us. Verse 5, he asks, will you be angry with us forever? The answer is no. We, we know that. We know that he, he speaks of that in Exodus. That, that is, it's not a, for, he's not angry forever for his people. Those who put their hope and trust in him, th- there are moments where di- certainly he will discipline those he loves, but it's not a perpetual state. Will you prolong your anger to all generations? And the answer is no. No. Over and over, we see the mercy of God extended to His people over and over. And some of you may say, well, will He extend it again to me? The answer is yes. Yes, yes. If He calls us to forgive as we've been forgiven, we're saying God loves to forgive His people. He loves to welcome people back. He loves to call the prodigal home. God is in the business of doing that. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? He's saying like, Won't you do that, Lord? We want the joy back. There's sometimes people will be like, I've just been in a spiritual funk. And the deal is, is like, well, you've been under the word here, right? We we pray for you here and ask the Lord to do a work in your heart. The, The answer is likely is you just need to, like, set your heart on spiritual truths, get in His word. Pray that God would bring that stuff back to you, that 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 vigor, and, and like you say, God, do, and 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 I, if there's things He identifies in your heart that are wrong, confess those and move on. And, and so we, we just would say like God loves to revive, and, and you say, well, are there seasons where it seems like uh, things are slow and all that, where the Spirit doesn't seem to be moving or sweeping your heart or the congregation's heart? Absolutely. But you pray, oh God, restore that time, restore the joy, bring that back. We want that, Lord. That's kind of what you want to see. I think about Jesus saying about the unjust king who who responded after ongoing appeals to a woman who who he just was frustrated by. How much more does God want to do for us? Verse 7, "'Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation.'" This is like, verse 7 is kind of the centerpiece here. Um, One person said, God is not like Lord Voldemort. I'm going to say it wrong. Who says, I will never forgive? He is a forgiving God. He is quick to forgive. He is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. And so we say, God is a just God, but He's also merciful And we hold those two things together. Always. You need to hold those up in your head. Like It's not that you want to say something like, God's just a loving God. He never judges sin. That's a lie. But you can't say, God is such a judging God that He never forgives sin. He never shows mercy. That's a lie. You have to hold both of those truths together. And you allow the Bible to make sense of that. And help you understand. This, as he looks to the past and he looks to the future, there's confidence, I would say, in the present. Verse 8, let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. So he's saying, like, he's saying, like, Lord, he's kind of calling upon the Lord to, like, speak peace to them, to bring peace. And the idea of peace there would be like they have offended him and now he's brought peace to them. That's the idea. Not to, to spit upon that peace. Not to make like light of it. It's a big deal. If you like, um, think about that when you think like you don't want to turn back there, you almost want to say to yourself, like, Lord, let me never go back. I want to be in, the right, in, in a place where I'm close to you and near to you. And so he says that, that let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Salvation is near to us. It, it, that's one of the things you want to say. Like He, is, he loves, again, to do that. He's a saving God. It, the whole story of redemption is a story of redemption. The grand narrative of the Bible is not the story of judgment. The grand narrative of the Bible is the story of redemption. God rescuing people. Here's the thing. Some of you, the story of your life might be something like, well, I was judgmental towards all people. That's not the heart of God. That's not the way He works. Some of you, the story of your marriage is, I kept score. And I was better than that person. Really? Is that how God is? Are you bearing the image when you're doing that? The reality is, no, you're not. He's saying God, we know who you are. We don't want to like uh, uh, reject your grace. We don't want to like spit upon the work that you've done in our hearts. Lord, we know you're a saving God. You please be near to us. There's a confidence there to those who fear him, those who are reverent towards God. Those who are who are quick to bow the knee and to lay down the, 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 their lives before the Lord and say, Lord, here am I, send me, just do what you will. So, what about past transgressions here? I think it's just important um, to think about like this in light of like where we are in the Bible. The idea here is he's assuming that the experience of God's wrath has been dealt with. So they've been under God's judgment, His heavy hand. They understand that. They're, they're seeing that. So he's assuming that God's wrath has been paid. Not in an ultimate sense. I want you to think about that. But in a temporal sense. It's like God is going to um, discipline them until they come back to Him. So it's almost like in this sense, I think that's what's going on here. There is a temporal uh, uh, pressure that God has put on His people. But it's it, it, so that's temporally in his mind it may be satisfied. Another way to say this is like when you're thinking about it, even under the Old Testament sacrificial system, had the psalmist thought about that, you could say God's justice in a temporal way has been addressed because the animal has taken the sin of that person or the sins of that nation in a temporal sense, but not in eternal sense. The fullest and final place of where you say God's justice has been served is at the cross. And at the cross, Isaiah 53 spoke of this, the Messiah would bear our sins once and for all. So I think it's not wrong to say, does God discipline the children that he loves presently? Yes. To bring them back, to restore them, to, to rescue them afresh, to remind them of His mercies and His graces that, that He's shown. But we're standing here, when we look as New Testament, New Covenant people, we're saying God has forgiven our sins in, the, in an ultimate sense. He, he has rescued us in the fullest possible way. We know that the Bible speaks of like we were driven away by by God, from Eden, from His presence, and now restoration has taken place. Now, so he's, he has this look to the past, look to the future, and then this confidence to go to God, and then you see this transformation that takes place. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. What, what's the idea there? He's saying, like, those things, God is going to be faithful to judge sin while at the same time extend mercy he is faithful in both of those things when you think about righteousness and peace will kiss each other a lot of people say like go to the cross where God is both the just and the justifier that's what Romans 3 says God is not like when God uh, I, I met with a, a, a guy one time and, and I said uh, how do you deal with your sins And he was from another religion. He said, well, we believe that God is merciful and He'll sweep our sins under the rug. That's not the Christian's way. We don't believe any sin has been swept under the rug. Here's what we believe. Our sin and the sin of all who will believe was like, it was dealt with at the cross. Jesus endured the wrath of God for our sins. He was our substitute so that we could be at peace with God, so that we could experience peace with God. So He is both just, totally dealing with our sin, and justifier, showing mercy to us. That's a beautiful thing to see. And so when you see that, and you experience that, you understand that, that, that there's no conflict between the judgment of God and His mercy. He does both of those things for us. It is a great thing to for us to see, there's harmony here between these attributes. It's a wonder and amazement that we see God's re- restorative grace on display. So, again, you could ask, how can we or He acquit the guilty because He is perfect and uphold this righteousness while at the same time, like, show mercy to us? And again, just dri- drive yourself back to the cross, walk yourself back to the cross. And you see that on display. Verse 11, faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. What is he saying? There's this transformation that takes place. It it is like these people are, are, are like seeds of truth and God can look down and see them growing. All of a sudden they're growing. There's this health and vitality that comes to to fruition here. This tree that is firmly planted and it yields its fruit in season and God can see that like Psalm 1 with His people restored because justice has been served and His mercy and kindness has been on display and those have both met. Verse 12, Yes, the Lord will give what is good. When I think about with um, Moses, when the Lord met with him, In Exodus 34, you remember he said, I want you to show me your glory. Remember that? It's amazing. The Lord passed before him and said, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children. How do you forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin if you're not going to clear the guilty? You know, that's kind of the way you have to think about that. Again, under the new covenant, we see those two things taking place. God's judgment and His mercy tied together there. So, when you think about this text and you're thinking about God's work, I think it's important to see that, to be reminding yourself of it. And we continue on in this last verse here, and our land will yield its increase, righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. There's this idea of this future that's gonna take place. This future where righteousness will reign, where everything the righteous judge who has shown mercy will restore everything, that the world will be complete again and things will be right. And some of us, I think, today, we just have to see that. We have to remind ourselves of that. We have to say, oh, my goodness, like, God has done these great works. And we need to encourage our children that there is a God who... Here's the deal. I just want to say this little side note. When you're raising your kids, you want to set the standard. You want to uphold it. You want to tell them that, like, the standard's been broken. Here is the punishment, right? Right? While at the same time, you're trying to display to them that we are merciful people. I'm welcoming you back. I've disciplined you because I love you. So that you're setting in their minds that God is both just and he is merciful. So when you look at this and you're thinking about this text, hopefully it will help you put those two things together so that in the present, even in those moments where you say, like, I know I've moved away, you think He's always he will welcome me back. Yes, the Lord may discipline me for a moment, but it's only disciplining me to drive me back to Him and to remind me of the cross and to remind me that judgment was served and to remind me that He is a merciful God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for that. Thank You for these truths. We praise You for the hope we have. Your righteous standard humbles us. It breaks us. It condemns us. And yet it drives us to the cross where we see Jesus broken in our place, Jesus condemned in our place, Jesus enduring the wrath of God in our place so that we experience the love and mercy of God, so that we know Your mercy. Lord, we thank You for that. We thank You for the amazing grace that's found in Him. I pray if there's someone here today that has thought that Christianity is them somehow carrying their dirty, soiled works to you one day, and standing there thinking they will be forgiven, or be in good standing. I pray that they would cast that aside, cast themselves on Christ, who lived a perfect life and died a perfect death, so that they could be reconciled, so that they could experience mercy, so that their sin could be punished, but they wouldn't be punished with it. In Christ's name, amen.